Scripture. Turn in your Bible, please, to Ezekiel chapter 23. Ezekiel chapter 23. Ezekiel chapter 23, beginning, I'm sorry, chapter 22, beginning with verse 23. Ezekiel 22, beginning with verse 23. Ezekiel 22, beginning with verse 23. May we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the excitement of being in the house of the Lord today, for the, for the songs that the choir have sung, and, and uh, the reminder to stand for Jesus, and the reminder that Jesus is the healer. Just the very impact of God's people meeting together. Lord, thou knowest some who have come here with heavy hearts, just this past week have stood by open graves which have received the earthly form of their loved ones. We pray thou wilt restore and give strength and grace. We pray for those who are in trouble, who have come to seek an answer to their burden and problem. We pray for those who are hungry for Jesus. Thy word says, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, they shall be filled. May the Holy Spirit draw folks to Christ. May this be a time of confession. God, give us men that will honor Thee. In Jesus' name, amen. Reading from Ezekiel chapter 22, beginning with verse 23. Now, we do not know as much about Ezekiel as we do about many of the other men of the Bible. We do know that he went to Babylon during the Babylonian captivity, possibly before Daniel did. And while Ezekiel was probably a student of Jeremiah, Jeremiah remained in Jerusalem until its tragic and terrible fall in the year 586 B.C. And though Ezekiel was probably born in Jerusalem and of the priestly group, went to Babylon, and God gave him an assignment to do. He preached before the fall of Jerusalem and after the fall of Jerusalem in Babylon. Now listen carefully to his message in this passage. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto her, Thou art the land that is not cleansed, nor reigned upon in the day of indignation. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst of her, like a roaring lion ravening the prey. They have devoured souls. They have taken the treasure and precious things. They have made her many widows in the midst of her. Her priests have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and profane. Neither have they shown difference between the clean and the unclean, and have hidden their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. Her princes in her midst are like wolves ravening the prey to shed blood, to destroy souls, to get dishonest gain. Her prophets have daubed them with untempered martyr 
seeing vanity, divining lies unto them, saying, Thus saith the Lord God, when the Lord hath not spoken. The people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery and have vexed the poor and needy. Yea, they have oppressed the sojourner wrongfully. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore have I poured out mine indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. That's one of the saddest passages in the Bible. And notice the indictment is not against the worldly crowd. It is against the religious crowd. The people who seem to have a form of godliness, but deny the power of it. I don't mean to pick on people that go to church. Thank God that you're here. But the interesting thing is the people that originally heard this message were people who went to church. And the indictment had to do with people who posed to be spiritual and religious, but they did not get their orders from God. This would cause immediately everyone who names the name of Christ, everybody who is a Christian, to stand in awe and say, as the disciples did at the Last Supper, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? And double check to be sure that what we do, we do is unto the Lord. That what we say, we get from God. And that we're stable, spiritually, anchored to the rock of Christ. Now the text this morning is verse 30. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land. It were as if Ezekiel were looking back to the land of Israel, the land of Jerusalem, Judea. God had given warning after warning after warning. I will not tolerate sin. I cannot stand hypocrisy. He had told the people in Judah and in Israel, repent or perish. Wake up, stand in the gap, make up the hedge, be the people God wants you to be or else. And when God had called true prophets like Jeremiah and he preached a thing like that, there were a whole flock of false prophets that said Jeremiah is just a fanatic. He's out of his mind. He doesn't know what he's saying. And so while Jeremiah was preaching certain judgment and the coming of Babylon as a punishment and judgment of God upon Israel and Judah, there were false prophets and religious people standing around saying to the king, don't pay any attention to what Jeremiah is saying. He's berserk. He's out of his mind. He always has something bad to say. And so they were lulled into sleep. And they listened to the false rather than the true. That's what Ezekiel is writing about. And then when the Babylonian hordes came and surrounded the city of Jerusalem, 
they called Jeremiah a traitor because he had preached that this is what would happen. Now the, the thrust here, and, and I will not make this just a historical message today to talk about what happened in Israel, but I feel like God wants us to make an application right here. And the thrust is, in verse 30, God is seeking for a man. God is looking for somebody who will stand in the gap and make up the hedge. Men wanted for a challenging undertaking. Thus began the advertisement of one of the nation's largest industrial concerns. Continuing, it was pointed out that in this company, there was room for engineers who were willing to stake their future for participation in one of the greatest of all engineering adventures. If we were to advertise as a church or as a Christian movement in our local papers or national periodicals today, that advertisement might read something like this, men wanted who will face the challenge of a great and sacred adventure, that of serving the master of life and death, men who are willing to stake their all for him who gave his all, and men who will channel their time and talents and possessions and energy through the church that Christ might be made known. When Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee or the turbulent tossing Jordan River, his continued heart cry, his constant search was for men who would serve. Men who would condescend to others of low estate. Men who would be willing to become servants of all. Men who would follow him if need be to the ends of the earth and learn from his humble manner and his majestic speech, the ways of life and death. God never called men to lord it over somebody else. Or to say, I have a position that makes it impossible for me to sweep a floor or wash some feet or do some menial task. Let me just clue you in on something spiritual this morning. I hope you'll get this. He that would be Lord of all must be servant of all. The way up is the way down. The way to be well-pleasing to the Lord is to be a chief servant, finding the menial tasks and getting them done. We were walking through the halls of, of uh, the House of Representatives few years ago we're walking with Mr. William Natcher he's been a representative from our area for many years we had our senior class there and one of the girls dropped something and you know what happened we were all walking along and Mr. Natcher stooped down on the floor and picked it up I don't know why the rest of us didn't but he did If you want to be someone pleasing to God, learn to be a servant of all. I've been amazed when it snows. I love snow. 
I'm sort of glad it didn't snow today, but so you all come. But I love the snow. If it snows and we, and the weather report and the radio says that all the churches are closed, remember we're going to be open. We'll have service and you ought to come. You can get here. If you want to ride, call me and if I can get there, I'll come. We'll hitch old Dobbin to the sleigh and go out there and pull you in. But I've been amazed when it snows. And I've heard some people come and, and say, well, I wonder why somebody didn't come and sweep the walks. Then on other days, the walks are swept. Nobody knows who did it. Somebody says, I wonder who did that. I wonder who went out there and got there early Sunday morning or Saturday night late and shoveled the snow off the walks. Do you ever wonder who does things like that? Somebody that's known to God. Now, the Apostle Paul said that in the latter days, there are going to be people come walking in their own lusts, lording it over everybody else, and denying the power, having a form of, of, of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And Ezekiel said, God is looking for a man. Today, we're thinking about our men, thanking God for the men of this church. I want to suggest to you there are some men that God wants to use, that God wants to honor, God wants to, to have His way with. I want to give you three kinds of men God is looking for. Number one, Christ has a claim on men who are His already. Already His. If I should ask everybody, every man in this room today who is saved, who is on his way to heaven to lift your hand or stand, that you would be the ones that Christ is saying this thing to. Christ has a claim on every man who is his. Jesus made no apology when he said to those who would follow him, uh, one came and said, you know, uh, 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 sir, I want to follow you, but let me go bury my dad, my, my dad first. Now, now what he meant was his dad wasn't dead yet. He wanted to go back and take care of his dad until his dad died and stay there with him and then come and follow Jesus. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. You come and follow me. You say, that's rough teaching. Yeah. I have an idea that many today would go away and have nothing to do with that stranger from Galilee were he here if you really knew what he asked. He made no apology at all in asking first allegiance. Some of them came one day and said, Lord, I want to follow you. And he said, uh, foxes have holes. The birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man hath not a place to lay his head. Follow me. Another man came and, and, and he said, Lord, what, what good thing can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you go sell all that you have and come and follow me. You'll have great possessions in heaven. The man went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. That is not to say that Jesus is against anybody having some wealth. I don't think he minds our having money if the money doesn't have us. I don't think he minds us having a home to dwell in as long as that home doesn't have us. I've heard of people saying, well, I can't come to church today because I've got to wash the windows. How would you like it if you didn't have any windows to wash? Or I can't come to church because I've got such and such a thing to do. My, the only day in the week I have to clean my house is Sunday. And the Lord would say to you, I have no house. 
You come and follow me. Jesus sort of makes it rough on us. <laughs> it isn't easy to be well-pleasing to the Lord. The first thing that Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, a text for discipleship. This is not conversion. This is for people who are already saved. He said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now listen, the cross is not somebody at home sick that you've got to take care of and you come and say, well, my cross is my grandmother or my, somebody in my family has been sick and that's the cross I've got to carry. No, it isn't. You need to do that. You need to take care of your family. But a cross is something you willingly, purposefully pick up and carry. When Jesus went to Golgotha, they hanged him on a tree. They drove great nails through hands and feet and made a calvary. They crowned him with a crown of thorns. Red were his wounds and deep. For those were crude and cruel days and human flesh was cheap. But when Jesus came to Bowling Green, they simply passed him by. They wouldn't hurt a hair of him. They just let him die. Men had grown more tender. They would not give him pain. They simply passed down the street and left him in the rain. The cross that we must carry is a cross of service. A cross of sacrifice. A cross that we willingly pick up and nobody makes us, but we do it. Like the cross of those who go out and drive the buses early on Sunday morning. Like the cross of those who serve as bus pastor willingly going out and spending four to five to eight hours, sometimes three hours or sometimes ten hours on Saturday, knocking on doors and compelling people to come in in response to Luke chapter 14. And then there are some who sit over smugly and say, well, I can't do that. I can't wash the disciples' feet like that. The cross of service, the cross of sacrifice is like those who go out here and take care of our yard. Nobody ever knows it. That's an area. But you know, sometimes we think, well, I'm just called to, you to have one cross. No, 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 no. One of the greatest men I ever knew, and he's still in the harness, though he's an older man, can't see well, doesn't feel good, goes to church every time the door's open, was E.A. Carpenter. I met him when I first moved to Bowling Green. He came at our church fellowship just shortly after I did. He'd come all over and over again and say, Pastor, what can I do to help? Never one single time in all the time that I knew him did he ever try to tell me what to do. But boy, I ask him what to do a lot of times because he's the kind of man I wanted some counsel from. Not one time in all the times that I've known him did he ever try to buck something that the Lord was in on and the church was going toward. Mr. Carpenter came one day and said, you know, I'd like for our deacons to meet before church on Sunday morning. Would that be all right and pray? Meet just before the worship service. He'd go and get them all together. We'd go in one of those little rooms over there, the old auditorium, and we'd pray together. Sometimes he'd be a little bit late I say, Brother Carmen, why are you late? Well, he said, the, the, the red lights and the, uh, some people I was picking up weren't uh, ready. And, and, and I'd, I'd find out later, he never told me, but I'd find out later he had about 25 people in his little car that he was bringing to church. 
I don't want to just laud a man. I thank God for him. But I'm saying that's the kind of man that fulfills Matthew 16, 24. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. His wife went to heaven. And somebody had the gall to come to me and say, well, you know that man that you honor and you like and so on you respect, he, he won't stick to it now. His wife's dead. That was in 1963 or 4, a long time ago. He's kept going all through these years by himself. It's going to be a wonderful sweeping into glory one day when he gets home. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 13, Enter into the straight gate, for narrow is the gate that leads to heaven. Wide is the way that leads to hell. Secondly, and because of time, I've got to hurry. Secondly, Christ is seeking some who will go the second mile and the third and the fourth to be an unusual servant for God, to go beyond the ordinary run of Christian men, to make a total sellout to the Lord of glory. I think that's what the Apostle Paul did. I think that's what Moses did. Moses grew up in the court of Pharaoh. He was next in line perhaps to be the Pharaoh, the king of the country. But the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, he chose to suffer the afflictions with the people of God rather than to, to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He went to the backside of, of the desert and, and there had a burning bush experience. Took the f shoes off his feet and, and had an encounter with God. And God said, go, Moses, go, go, Moses, go. And Moses said, who am I? God said, to make a difference who you are. Well, who are you? I am the great I am. When I get before Pharaoh and I say, God said, let my people go, he won't listen. Go anyway. And so Moses went under the mandate of the Lord, and he went. And Mo Pharaoh refused, he went again. 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 Pharaoh refused. How many times do you have to go before you get discouraged and throw in the towel and quit? While Moses just kept on going, he got a reassignment for God. He got along with God, and God said, go, Moses, go. And finally, one day, triumphantly, they came out of the land of Egypt and crossed the Red Sea on dry land and marched over to Kadesh Barnea, a free people. Because there was a man who was willing to go the second, third, fourth, fifth mile with God and never quit. Ezekiel said, I'm looking for a man. God is looking for a man. Elijah was like that. Samuel was like that. Matthew was like that. Barnabas was like that. The Apostle Paul. The Socrates and the Aristotle of his day, I think. That's what I think about Saul of Tarsus. And for 30 years, maybe 35, he carried the cross of redemption, the story across Asia Minor, and finally over into Italy and the city of Rome and appeared before Caesar and gave the gospel witness to the emperor of the Roman Empire and because they had no accusation worthy of death against him he was freed and then he went out and did it again and went over into Spain I believe and then under the awful persecutions of Nero he came back to Rome and I do not know secular history doesn't tell us the Bible doesn't tell us but I sort of secretly entertain the thought that he might have gone before Nero and witnessed before Nero the great 
gospel of Jesus. And Paul died on the Appian Way for the faith of the Lord. Now listen, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be through in a moment, but I'm not talking about dreamland. I'm saying there's some men in this very room today who have already become like Moses, like Elijah, like Paul. I'm saying there's some other men in this room today that God is dealing with your heart and He wants you to be that kind of man, going the second mile. God is looking for a man who will stand in the gap and make up the hedge. Lives of great men all remind us we can make our lives sublime and departing. Leave behind us footprints. Where are your footprints leading? Men? Young men? Are they just leading to the Super Bowl? And I'm for the Super Bowl. I'm interested. I think I'm for Chicago. I don't know who you're for. But I want to tell you, I'm not going to miss church tonight and watch some god of a television. I can read about it tomorrow in the paper. And anybody that misses God's place tonight just to watch that is like a man who can't decide whether he loves his wife or he loves some other girl. And he's sort of flirting around. I'm serious, you think. Say, preacher, you're fanatical. Yes, I am. When it comes to serving God or sports or job or money or anything else, God has to be first. Not among equals, but first. I'm looking for a man, Ezekiel said, who stand in the gap and make up the hedge. I believe God's looking for some men right here. Thirdly, last of all, I think God is seeking those who have never come. Notice he's seeking those who are already his. He's seeking some to go the second, third, fourth, fifth mile to be outstanding leaders for him. And last of all, he's seeking some who have never come at all. Some who have never come. You've been tasters. You've thought about it, but you've never really given your all to Jesus. I plead with you today to put it all on the altar. Give your life to Christ. The Bible says our big problem is sin. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of that sin is death and hell. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill the law's demands. Only Christ and His blood can cleanse us from sin. And I'd just like to put out a challenge today to some men who would be willing to say, Lord, use me. Use me. In the place where I am, use me. If I've never given my heart to you, I want to give it to you. If I've never given my talents to you all the way, I want to do it. I want to be in Sunday school and training union, be a 100% guy. Go all the way for God. Become a soul winner. Be somebody God can use. You're going to die one day. And the, and, and the stands that you have taken, your children will remember. They may not always agree with what you do now, but they're going to remember. Some of you in this room can remember a father or a grandfather who stood tall for God. When the storms came, he stood still. When the rain and the snow came, he just kept on serving God. When all kinds of turbulence developed, he just kept right on going. I'd like to ask you to be that kind of man that can be remembered in God's Hall of Fame.
And one day when we get home, we're going to sing all over God's heaven. And we look up one another, and the Bible says in Malachi chapter 3, there's a book of remembrance given for those who talked about the Lord. And there's, you're going to be in God's special autograph book. Sometimes uh, teenagers have autograph books. Sometimes all of us have autograph books. But you're going to be in God's autograph book. He's going to say, I want your autograph, because down there on earth, you honored me. You served me. Now, ladies, you can get in on that, too. That's not just for men. It's for ladies, too. Will you be a lady for Jesus? Young people, you'll be a young person for Jesus and serve Him. May we pray. Our Father, we thank You that Jesus paid it all. All to Him we owe. Sin left a crimson stain, but Jesus washed it white as snow. We pray that somebody here today would take a stand for Christ. Some man would say, I want to be used by God. Some young person would dare to come and say, I want to be what God wants me to be. Somebody who has never been saved or never confessed Jesus, never been baptized, would come and say, I want to do that for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Will you stand, please? What's our song? Number 242. Out of my bondage, sorrow, and night, Jesus, I come. 242. Turn there in your book. After you've turned, would you listen just a moment? The invitation will be over. The service will be over. This whole morning service of Sunday, January 26, 1986, will be history in just a few minutes. But before it ends, you can make an impact for all eternity. I want to ask you to come, take a stand here, and say by that, I'm coming to Jesus. I'm going to be what God wants me to be. I'm going to either give my heart to Him and trust Him as Savior, or I'm going to take a new stand for God and begin to be the kind of man that God can use for His glory. While we sing, will you come?